Welcome to Edwards Beyond the Test. It's a podcast that goes behind the scenes of the flight test mission here at Edwards Air Force Base. I'm Dawn Waldman from the 412 Test Wing Public Affairs Office. When I think of today's guest, a few things that come to mind are innovation, forward thinking, determination, high energy, and care for the airmen. Currently serving as the Command Chief Master Sergeant for the 412th Test Wing, Chief Master Sergeant Ian Eichen is all of that and more. And welcome, Chief Eichen. We're so glad to have you here today. Uh, thank you, Don. Well, Chief Eichen, the work you do at Edwards affects all the airmen here, and that's the big A airmen that we're talking about, which is more than 11,000 military, civilian, contractor personnel and their families. So can you tell us what your job is all about? Sure. Um, as you said, we've got 11,000 different variations of airmen on this base. Um, my job is really to sit next to the commander, General Teichert, um, to be his, his – some people think that it's the, uh, the enlisted liaison to the boss and, and it kind of is. My background is all enlisted. I've been an enlisted member my entire time, almost 20 years now. Um, but that kind of helped frame my, my point of view and my mindset on things. And so my job is to take that point of view, take that mindset, learn as much as I can around the base, and then be one of his advisors as he moves forward with his vision and um, anything he's trying to do to, to push this base and push our airmen forward. What also falls under your job duties is the uh, readiness and training. So um, our main mission at Edwards is flight test in support of the warfighter. What type of readiness and training takes place here? So that's a, there's a large amount of readiness and training. The, the problem or the hardest part, I would say, is we have our traditional Air Force training that every single base does. Um, but one of the differences in this space and really uh, our mission with the test center is we're constantly at the forefront trying to figure out what the new things are going to be in the Air Force and then finding a way to train to that new technology. And so when you hear the chief of staff of the Air Force or the secretary of the Air Force, you know, they talk about the national defense strategy and how we need to be ready really for everything. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's difficult. How do you build a training plan to be ready for everything rather than for one um, future state that you kind of know what's going to happen. Um, and so in order to be ready for everything, we have to train into a lot of different um, techniques and procedures. We have to focus on emerging technology as much as possible because that's going to dictate a lot of what we do. Um, but if we get too focused or get tunnel vision around one technology or one process, we're probably going to miss out on something. Um, when you've got a dynamic future that's really difficult to predict, you've got to find a way to train your airmen um, to be ready for any uh, any future that, that comes up. And so what we've done instead is instead of focusing on one single end state, um, we focus on trying to build critical thinking, thinkers and problem solvers. We figure if we can build airmen that can critically think, identify problems, and then solve those problems or uh, rapidly iterate, fail plenty of times, and then hopefully in the end solve those problems, it really doesn't matter what happens in the future. They'll be ready for all of it. Now, let's talk about the enlisted force, which you do represent. The experience level of our enlisted airmen that here at Edwards, in all bases really, it ranges from seasoned veterans to those that are new to the Air Force. How do you bring this team together, Chief Aishan? So difficult. Everybody's got their own culture. And so, uh, you know, the, our largest enlisted populations are in our security forces, our maintenance, and uh, our FSS. Um, so admin and personnelists mainly. And those are all various cultures, different cultures. Even in our maintenance group, um, you'll see a different culture between F-16 maintenance. And same thing with their pilots and flyers as well. It's between F-16s, heavies, tankers, even between different fighters, F-16s, F-22s, F-35s. And so, the nice thing is that we bring all of that, that those hodgepodge of cultures together under one roof, um, but, but they're very different people and they think about things different based on the mission that they have. And so um, the biggest thing that we try to do is try to increase the interactions between them so you can kind of lower those walls between the cultures. Um, and that only, the fact that we have 
now enlisted, officers, civilians, and then various contractors all again with their own distinct cultures. Um, you just start adding more to the mix. The best part about it, because you have those cultures, uh, it's really difficult to get into a, a groupthink on things. You've got tons of ideas and tons of different um, ways of solving that problem or attacking that. And so if you're welcome or open to listening to all those different ways and ready to move out on one, you usually get a wide variety of, of ideas and usually one of them is going to be right. And so um, it it allows us, I think, to overcome problems a lot faster than maybe we would have if we had just had one culture on this space. Over the last couple of years, I've seen more and more of this attitude towards sharing and, and thinking as, you know, bigger beyond your own walls. And it's obviously paying off. I hope so. Um, it goes back to, to what I'd said about the national defense strategy. The culture works really well. It's built to do something specific. Um, if you talk about one specific aircraft or one specific security forces, for instance, they are built to do the job that they're supposed to do, but it's the job that they've always done as opposed to what we're going to do in the future. And it's difficult when we don't know what we're going to do. So when that new problem presents itself, the more people that we have to attack that problem and the more uh, variation of ideas, uh, the quicker we're probably going to solve it. When we come back, we'll talk about Team Edwards or the Big A and the work that goes into building and maintaining this special community. Welcome back to Edwards Beyond the Test. Our guest today is Chief Master Sergeant Ian Eichen, who is the Command Chief Master Sergeant for the 412 Test Wing. Sir, you know, Edwards is comprised of a diversified community of airmen, civilians, contractors, and families. It's also located pretty much in the middle of nowhere. But you, along with others, put a lot of effort into bringing special programs and events to the base with an emphasis on building the community. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. I'd, I'd like to start by saying I think it's actually in the middle of everything. Um, when you really look at it, you know, within two hours, we can go to the beach, we can go surf, uh, scuba dive, depending on where we want to go. We can go down to L.A. Uh, in, two, in three hours, we can get to Vegas. Uh, we can get up to Mammoth, to Tahoe, to the mountains, to ski, to hike. Um, Death Valley, if you want to hike there, there's so much around. And so, yes, technically on this space, um, there's, there's not a restaurant five minutes away unless you want to go to a base restaurant. And so that does present its own set of challenges. But if you really take advantage of the location and everything there is to offer in SoCal and then being close to, to NorCal, you really are in the middle of everything, no matter what your hobbies are. Um, when we look at the base itself, there's a reason this base is in the middle of everything or nowhere, as you'd say. Um, the, the mission that happens right. here um, is so vital to right. the nation, and uh, it was built this way because of the seclusion that this base offered. Um, also, we have this massive lake bed that for some reason didn't want to uh, spring up right next to the ocean. And so um, it's one of these features that's just a natural wonder of the United States. And because of that, we're able to um, test and work a lot of this nation's mission. Um, However, we do understand that it is difficult for some families as soon as they get here, and it is a culture shock. And so we've worked really hard, both General Tykert and I, and really the whole team here at Edwards, um, to bring as many um, facilities and uh, different capabilities to the base as possible. Um, for instance, here in the near future, we're uh, opening up. We'll look at it now here. In about three weeks, we're opening up the very first wing stop at any Air Force base. The very first? The very first. That's awesome. Um, it took a little while because yeah. of that. You know, if we wanted to uh, get some of the, the restaurants that are already on different Air Force bases, that means the contracts have already been signed. You know, everybody's kind of worked through the, legal, the legalities of that. Because of that, um, we had to start from scratch, um, which was perfect. We're a test base. We can test anything the Air Force <laughs> wants us go. to test. And so we have a wing stop coming in um, to bring that capability to the base. So it's right down the street from the dorms and all of our families can partake. And in the next three or four months, we have two other um, new restaurants opening um, on this base. And actually, we're putting those right across the street from the dorm. So an airman can wake up and in five minutes be exactly
exactly where they need to be to grab food, just to give them another option and are give you, their families another option. Are you ready to tell us what those restaurants will be? Um, yes, actually, one is uh, Salad Works. Okay. Um, it's a it's a healthy eating establishment. So we've got uh, salads and wraps and sandwiches is kind of their their main focus, and the other is uh, Rickenbackers. And so you'll see more Rickenbackers overseas. They're already on a few Air Force bases, um, but it's uh, kind of I don't want to say diner, but it, you know burgers, fries, um, alcohol. It's it's just kind of a little catch all of all types of different foods. Um, but the more we can offer, we already have a Panda Express right across the street from the, the airmen. Um, and so we are trying to ensure that they have more right there next to them because we get airmen that show up uh, without a car. You know, yes. you're 18 years old. You've just joined the Air Force. You might not have a car within the first few months. And so the more capabilities we can give you right when you arrive, um, the better. Um, that's one of the reasons we've actually tried to really focus on designing a, a proper onboarding experience for airmen um, because of the remoteness of this base. If you have certain uh, cell phone providers, you might not get in or coverage as soon as you arrive. Um, you show up at 10 o'clock at night, let's say, you go to your dorm room. There's no way for you to call your parents, call your family, call your girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, whatever it is. Let them know that you got here all right. And so we're about to ha- probably in about a week, we'll have internet in the dorms for all of the airmen to make sure that as soon as they arrive, even if they haven't been able to get a contract set up yet, they have that communication. So as they learn uh, you know, and make friends within their unit and make friends around the dorms, they still have that community that whatever right. they had at their prior base, they have that here. That's awesome. Um, also, we have a transportation issue because this base is pretty um, far reaching. And so we're bringing in electric scooters to the base. Are you really? Yes, ma'am. So the same scooters you'd see at uh, um, in any big city, you know, San Diego, LA, San Francisco, really everywhere. And there's a couple different companies, but we have um, one that's very similar to all these. And so we're bringing those scooters to the base. We'll have them at all the key spots that our airmen will go to. So the main uh, station will be at the dorms. Then we'll also have another one at our wing stop and subway, which is right next to where security forces and maintenance and a bunch of our airmen actually work. Um, another one at the BX and commissary. And hopefully if those work out, our next one will be at the med group. And so an airman could show up. Um, now, from the Comanche Fund, we will pay for the airmen for about the first week or two to ensure that they have uh, enough rides so they're not using mm-hmm. their own credit card or their own payments to do that. And for at least the first week or two, they can get to work. They can get to the commissary for that first food run. They can get to medical group to sign in and do their in-processing. They can get almost everything done that they need to if for some reason they're not able to get a ride from a friend. And that actually gives them a week or two to make a friend, buy a car, and and start kind of settling themselves in. And we think if we can uh, design that onboarding experience correctly, we immerse them into the culture that we want to immerse in them. And that's one of community and family um, and really change the way that people are brought onto this base, um, even though we do, you know, see ourselves with, uh, with plenty of challenges. That is wonderful to hear. Congratulations for thinking of that and bringing that to our airmen here at Edwards. No, the greatest thing in most of these ideas, you know, General Tykert's a smart guy. I, we, we think of things, but none of the good ideas are ours. They're all an airman who's come in and said that this is something that they wish they had. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've provided them plenty of venues to, to speak directly to the general, speak directly to me. And so um, whether that message comes on, a, on through an email, through Xbox, through uh, Reddit, through Facebook, through any social – or just w- they walk in the door. Um, they are able to catch either of us anytime um, and give this idea and let us know. And if it's anything that's going to help airmen and make this better, um, even if it hasn't been done on another base, we're going to move forward with it if we think it'll work. Chief, I've, I've seen that lately we've been doing the strong family dinners, bringing families and, and airmen together for dinners, and you're also bringing back the dorm dinners? Yes, uh, we're actually okay. doing a dorm dinner tonight. So um, our strong family dinners are once a month, and what we do is we take 
Um, we basically pay for 400 families to come together. Um, the, the spouses group helps with that as well to provide desserts for it. And so we bring families together in our community center, and it gives myself and the general a chance to actually feed these families. We get to feed. We get face-to-face with them. We get to see them, um, offer them a, a stress-free evening of uh, – they don't have to worry about cooking that night. And we bring those kids and those spouses and parents and um, airmen from the dorms. And we bring them all together for a meal. Um, and we'll do some raffles. And at the last one, it was right around Halloween. And so we had a pumpkin carving contest. And um, our uh, our privatized housing group was very good about setting up a, um, a, a good contest and gift cards for the airmen and for the uh, the young kids that were involved. But it, it created an event. It was something for people to do and look forward to. And then it kept everybody together until, you know, seven or eight o'clock that evening. Um, in the summers, we'll do the same thing, but we'll do it around the pool. And so everybody will come get their food and then they'll all go jump in the pool and we'll have a DJ out there. And it's a great time. Um, it was so much fun that we wanted to start something very specifically for the dorms. And so, for instance, this afternoon, um, we'll go to the dorms. We'll provide them uh, probably about 200 to 250 meals is about the average, um, just based on the need uh, of our airmen. Um, we'll have a cornhole tournament going on, mm-hmm. probably a Super Smash Brothers tournament. We'll play some Nintendo and then have a DJ there. So, again, get everybody out of their dorms, hopefully meeting some people that they may not have met right. otherwise. Provide them a free meal, even though I think we have a world-class um, chow hall. Um, this just gives them something different. Exactly. It's, a, it's something that they can't get unless they drive 45 minutes to go get that meal. Um, and again, it gives myself and the general a chance to get in front of them to actually offer them um, that meal and spend time with them. Um, and so we are trying to focus as much as we can on building that community um, it, because it's so key to, to our airmen's resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that every airman, civilian, contractor, family member, every airman is going to come through some hardship. It just it's, it happens. It's just part of life. Right. And it's difficult. It always is, no matter how uh, smart or capable or stress-free you are. It's going to be difficult. But we found that the people who have a community to rally with, that they have a community to help them move on and move through that situation – not always bounce back, but just move through and deal with right. it. So they're not doing it alone. Um, and that doesn't happen by happenstance. It happens with um, a concerted effort to actually work through and build that. So they have something for them. Um, we get a lot of people fresh out of high school or that have been ripped away. Or I don't want to say, excuse me, not ripped away. They've joined the military <laughs> right. voluntarily, but you go to a place that you might not have been looking forward to. Or and it you tugs might at their have, hearts. You it know, does. Leaving home. Oh, you know, you miss your family all yes. the time. All of us do. Um, but if we can create that family right. or at least some Something to to fill that void at least for a little while. Um, I, I think there's goodness there, and it makes it a much better place to be if you're around people that you enjoy being around and you feel uh, supported and and loved and taken care of. When we come back, we'll talk about professional development and Chief Aishin's work toward bringing new and innovative opportunities to Edwards. Welcome back to Edwards Beyond the Test. Our guest today is Chief Master Sergeant Ian Aishin, who is the Command Chief Master Sergeant for the 412 Test Wing. Chief, after arriving at Edwards, you implemented a program that brought attention to NCO promotions, in particular those promoting to the rank of Technical Sergeant. Tell us about that, please. Yes, Don. So it it just happened to be as soon as I arrived shortly thereafter, we had uh, our Tech Sergeant promotion release. So Tech Sergeant is that middle tier of being an NCO. So um, it's a difficult rank because as a Staff Sergeant, you're transitioning from Airman to NCO. So um, as an Airman, you're still very new to the Air Force and you might be becoming an expert in your craft and now all of a sudden you're supervising. So there's a very sound transition between those two ranks. Staff Sergeant to Tech Sergeant wasn't as 
um, detailed. What, what ends up happening is now as a tech sergeant, you can't pretend like you're a new NCO. You should know these things already. Um, you can't use those same, we'll say, excuses as you did as a staff sergeant, but there's really nothing to help you get there. And it may be a year or two before you ever go through any sort of professional military education on being an NCO. And so we saw a noticeable gap before we talked about uh, onboarding. And so we wanted to make sure that we onboarded our tech sergeants correctly. So we got a team together with some of the, the solid and key NCOs and senior NCOs across the space. And I gave them two goals. They had to design the course around two things. One, uh, it had to make them feel amazing because they just achieved this huge milestone in their career. Uh, and the second was now they have a team with them to to face all these challenges. And anything that they put in the course or in the experience that did not go towards those two ideals needed to be removed. Okay. So we built uh, a two-day course. So what would happen is the day that someone was um, basically selected and they'd say – you got word that you had been selected to this new rank, um, you were pretty much whisked away within 12 hours and you would go to a two-day course. And I hate to say course because the course makes it sound like you're sitting in a room and you're, right. you know, death by PowerPoint. Right. And that was, that <laughs> yeah. doesn't relate to those okay. two ideals that I just mentioned. And so all of that was ripped out. And so we follow, or we, we built the course around those two things. They immediately came in um, and they were given, we built specific Moleskine notebooks for them. I wanted them to walk in and see a stack of books on their desk. These were very um, purposefully curated books based on what we had been doing and what we're trying to drive our culture here at Edwards towards. Um, And we also wanted them to see that these are books for them. And if they're not already investing in themselves, we were going to start. Um, And if they weren't already reading, they probably needed to start. So there was no requirement that they read these books in the next week or two weeks, but have these for reference and, and try to start their, their journey as a leader if they hadn't already. Um, we then went through two days of sitting down and really panel discussions and closed door discussions with everyone um, to talk about any worries that they had about this new rank. We talked to you know new tech sergeants, maybe tech sergeants that were about a year ahead of them in the pipeline so they could talk about some of their biggest failures and lessons learned. Um, they then got to work with all of the chief master sergeants and first sergeants on base. So they had a team of people to work with because they weren't going to be in this alone. Um, and then I think one of the the best times we had is we spent a few hours with airmen and we allowed the airmen to, and these are young airmen, you know, one to three years in the Air Force. Oh, okay. And we gave them a chance to tell these new tech sergeants what as airmen do they require from their tech sergeants? What do they need? What are they not getting? Um, and that was a great experience. I mean, just sitting there as a, you know, I'll say auditing the course or being there to, to help and, and add some um, advice every once in a while. I had two pages of notes just just from that session wow. because it really opened your eyes to some of the things that um, those airmen, specific airmen, and maybe those cultures that they came from were dealing with on a regular basis. Um, it was so successful that we went ahead and did the exact same thing for our staff sergeants, even though there already is a course for them. Um, the course is not specific to Edwards, and so that's something we wanted to do. I think our base um, is unique in the sense that it has different needs than other Air Force bases, and I think all of them are the same. I think um, if I was at Herbert Air Force Base, there would be things that I'd want to train those airmen on based on the Hurlbert's mission and exactly. AFSOC's mission that maybe are not as high a priority for us. Um, for us, emerging technology, uh, test acquisitions, um, civilian relationships, meaning working with civilians, working with contractors, these are things that aren't as 
um, high, high priority just because they don't happen as much at other bases, um, very much AFMC bases, um, but, but which we are one of. So we wanted to make sure we looked at the things that were going on in our organization. Um, if we could fix anything, what would we fix? And we need to start it with our youngest airmen. And so we really tried to focus both our staff sergeant and our tech sergeant courses on that. And then again, more successes and some failures. And those, those happened um, all throughout the time. Um, we started building that into our actual um, professional military education. So Airmen Leadership School, which is our baseline education that all um, senior airmen or E4s go through. Um, we started adding emerging technologies and some design thinking and some of these things um, just to get our airmen thinking a little bit differently. Um, and we also added it in the style of uh, electives. So they had a choice. There's a, there's complaints that they're they're told exactly what they need to learn. And there are some baseline things right. that they have to learn that the Air Force has decided on. Um, and there's ways to fix that and, and update that when necessary. Um, but there's also something about having the own having your choice heard um, and be, or your voice heard and being able to choose what you learn based on your gaps and what you think you need. And so we wanted to give them that, um, if even for a small portion of the course. And you're getting great feedback on this, I, I, I see. So far. Um, and we're... The curriculum has changed multiple times. That's okay. the nice thing. Um, we get to iterate. We get to fill in gaps. We have a lot of expertise on this space. So if the airmen of the course are in the course say, you know what, this is what we really think we need, um, we can add it. Um, and in fact, the Air Force, the Barn Center, uh, changed the course um, recently here about three classes ago. So we're looking at about four months ago. Um, and the new course took some things out. Some of them airmen wanted, some of them they didn't. And so we can fill some of those gaps based on the needs of our airmen um, through, through lunches, through afternoons, through you know being a little creative with our time. Um, but if our airmen say that's what they need and they're passionate about learning that subject, um, there's no reason why we can't give that to them. Speaking of creativity and airmen, you're doing some creative things with them and teaching them about robotics and 5G and emerging technologies. What is all that? So we... You know, if you go to Corona, which I don't go to, it's all of our four stars who go, but the four stars are getting briefings on all these emerging technologies, quantum and robotics and artificial intelligence. And I figure that if it's important enough for our four-star generals to move forward with, and those are the technologies that are shaping um, their vision and strategy for the future of this Air Force, um, then it's something that our airmen need to be aware of. Now, maybe they might not spend as much time with it as some of our senior leaders, but if they don't know what those words even mean, um, at some point they're going to come up with an idea and they're going to say, you know what? I think artificial intelligence may be able to help me. Um, but if you're not tech savvy, that can be scary. Even just trying to Google artificial intelligence, what do you look at? What makes sense and what doesn't? And so if we can open up their mind to some of that and, again, focus on the fact that they're always going to learn, whether it's in a classroom, um, online, with other people, there is an expectation they continue to develop themselves and others based on what's happening in the world. And emerging technologies is part of that. And so we don't stop there. We talk about our near-peer um, rivals. We talk about the national defense strategy and why our, um, our senior leadership and um, our government is focused on these areas. And this way, they grow up and they, they do their tactical level actions based on the spirit and intent of what's happening at the strategic level. Um, and that can kind of be the guiding light of, do I go one way or do they go the other? And even though they may be wrong when they decide, if they decided based on what they thought was the strategic priorities of their senior leaders, then they probably made the right decision. It might not be one that they make again, but based on the information they had at the time, that was the right decision. And so we want to empower them because if we were... 
if we really do get into a situation with a near-peer rival, I don't think we're going to have four stars and three stars able to push down um, direction all the time. It's going to have to be a decentralized control right. environment. Um, and that re environment is going to uh, require senior airmen, staff sergeants, our young captains and majors to make decisions without any um, guidance other than you know, something they heard three weeks ago or the what they've heard th and learned throughout their career. And if we don't practice making those decisions now, um, it's going to be a lot difficult when things start getting crazy. Okay. And back to the robotics. Are you giving them kits? I heard you're giving them robotic kits. We are. So we had a group of airmen. We wanted to make sure um, that they started playing with a little bit of software development. But it's really hard to just say, I want to develop software or I want to learn code. You need to have a problem to solve, and you okay. need to focus on something. Also, having something in front of them to actually build is a little bit more fun, and we really wanted to be able to walk into a room and see airmen building all kinds of random things that um, that are fun because even though it might not have any military applicability at the time, the skills that they learn will help them solve problems in the military. So uh, we bought a couple uh, small indoor drone kits, some robotics kits, um, and we have these robotics kits all over the base. And what's actually happened um, is we've commandeered part of our arts and craft center. Um, you know, we've got a lot of MWR centers, for instance, um, a woodworking shop and arts and crafts and metal shop and all those things, because at the time they were built, those were major hobbies for, for a lot of the airmen and they needed something for them to, to fix, to work on those trades and to learn and to practice and just kind of have fun. Mm -hmm. um, robotics is one of those now. And so we have groups of airmen who are going to the arts and crafts center in the afternoons just to build robotics kits and work on, um, building computer vision algorithms, which is teaching a, a robot to look at something with a camera and to identify things. Um, and through that, they're learning artificial intelligence, they're learning algorithms, they're learning um, all of this different software stack. And so they're going to be able to use that to solve problems and they're having fun doing it. And so we want to, um, mm -hmm. you know, incentivize and empower that as much as possible. That's exciting to hear about. You know, your focus is just not on the airmen here at Edwards. You're also working on professional development opportunities for all our civilians as well. Tell us about the new Civilian Leadership School. Sure. So this is a, this is a joint effort between our current Airmen Leadership School. And so we already have uh, a very refined, I'll say, continuum of learning and expectations for our enlisted force. Our officer force has something very similar. And so from the very beginning, if you really want to know, there is a, there's a course for almost every level where we teach you at least those basic skills that we need you to have as a frontline supervisor, as a leader, as a manager. Um, and there's constant opportunities to top up on that education. Um, we don't have that for the civilian force. And if we were a wing that only had 100 civilians, it would only affect a very small percentage. Um, but almost 70% of our wing is civilians. And so not having a solid continuum of learning and continuum of leadership and management development um, is just lacking. And it's lacking across AFMC in general. And they know that. Mm -hmm. AFMC has 65,000 civilians. And so we do not have – we have pockets of things that have popped up. And so we needed to develop something, especially for our frontline supervisors. Airman Leadership School is for frontline supervisor active duty enlisted – or excuse me, not just active duty. We have guard and reserves, but for enlisted airmen. And we didn't have an equivalent on the civilian side. Okay. And so we took the Airman Leadership Curriculum. We took out a lot of the things that um, were very enlisted-centric that would not be applicable um, to a civilian. And then we added some things that were more civilian-centric. Um, and so we, we built a prototype. 
Just like any good test, we're going to try it out. And so in December, we'll push our very first group of civilians through CLS. Um, right now, we're starting with a five-day course. And then from there, we'll get feedback, what, what was good, what was not so good, and then we'll fix it and we'll make it better. And then we'll do it again and we'll do it again. And I can say that most of AFMC is, is watching because they're looking for something. Oh, no um, doubt. The way AFMC treats their civilians, you know, with civilian hiring and appraisals and everything that we learn through AFMC because we have um, the economy of scale within AFMC. FMC, the rest of the Air Force usually follows just because we have so many right. um, civilians right. to test and try these things. And so we're doing the exact same things with our with our civilians, trying to uh, teach them how to work with our enlisted, teach them a little bit of military, but then also um, tactics to be a frontline supervisor. And then how do you deal um, with, with leading different types of people, uh, management techniques, project management, all these things that... Um, they're not normal for everybody. And so the more that you, you know, tools you can put in your toolbox, the better off you're going to be. Um, I think if this goes well, um, there's probably a need for a mid-level manager training at some point, something that's equivalent to our E6, E7, you know, tech sergeant, master sergeant level. And maybe that's a GS11, GG11, NH3 type, maybe. Um, but by bringing those people together, um, we'll be able to figure out what they need and then we'll continue mm -hmm. iterating as we learn. The other things we're doing is we already have uh, some good leadership courses on this base, our Vanguard leadership course that's done with our, our engineering teams. We have a first sergeant symposium that's usually more, it's HR focused, um, a lot of human resource management that our first sergeants do, but we don't have first sergeants in all our civilian units. So we're bringing civilians into that first sergeant training so they can learn some of the tools and techniques that they get as a first sergeant. Um, at the same time, teaching our first sergeants some of the resources that are out there for civilians because we almost we have an equivalent of almost every active duty resource for our civilians, but it's different. Okay. There's certain things that you can use for civilians and certain things you can use for enlisted and, and officers. And so but but if you need mental health support, where do you go for that? And that support exists, but it's just a little bit different or nuanced. And so we need to make sure first sergeants who support civilians are able to do that. And then civilians who maybe focus more on the HR world have those capabilities so they can help not only their uh their civilians, but also their active duty um, airmen, enlisted, and, and officers. Well, Chief Olive Team Edwards, thanks you for the great work you're doing to make this an awesome place to live and work. And, you know, there's so much more we could talk about, so ho hopefully you'll come back and talk to us again sometime. But before I let you go, please tell us what excites you about working every day at the center of the aerospace testing universe. So I'll jump back on something you just said, and then I will answer that question, ma'am. Um, so the, the command chief position has no authority. Um, I, I have, I supervise probably five airmen right now, um, but I have influence. And what that does is it allows all these cool things that are going on are cool things that airmen have decided on, they've brought up and they've built. Um, what the general and I do is when it, whenever they hit a roadblock, especially when you're doing something new, it means there's not an established process for that. And so they're going to hit roadblocks. And when they do and they need a command chief to remove that roadblock, that's where I come in. Um, when they need a brigadier general to remove that roadblock, that's where the general comes in. And so everything we do is based around the things that our airmen are coming up with and deciding. Um, and then we just kind of clear the road for them to move forward and succeed. And if they fail, we pick them up and we help them learn from that. Um, and then they move forward again. So um, all these cool things that I get to talk about, I get to talk about them because we have awesome airmen making them happen. Um, to answer your question about what excites me about being at the center of the aerospace testing universe, it's the aerospace testing universe. 
I don't think a, a month goes by that we don't have an astronaut on the space that you can go talk to and learn from. Um, the fact that on any given week, you know, we're testing hypersonic weapons, we're testing F-35, F-22, B-2, B-1, um, KC-46, every, all the new technologies, everything that you hear um, our senior leaders discuss is probably here at Edwards in some way, shape, or form. Um, all of the newest artificial intelligence and counter um, UAS systems, all of the things that are going to keep um, our military members safe in the future um, and hopefully prevent any sort of large catastrophe are being done at Edwards. And so if you really want to know what's going on or what, what people are thinking or what's going to happen in 10 years um, in the rest of the Air Force, just come here and look at what's going to happen tomorrow and, and you'll get a really good chance to see it. Because of that, we have some amazing airmen, again, both active duty civilian and contractors, and they're the ones making this happen. They're forward thinking, they've got all kinds of ideas, and they're designing some amazing um, capabilities that really are going to keep our country safe. So that's why it's awesome to be at the center of the aerospace testing universe. Many thanks to today's guest, Chief Master Sergeant Ian Eichen, for taking time out to share his story and taking us beyond the test. We invite our listeners to submit their suggestions for future episodes by sending us an email at beyondtest at 412tw.us. Thanks to all for joining us. I'm Don Waldman for Edwards Beyond the Test. <laughs>